You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today we're talking about the teacher shortage and how we can address this in a relevant way. It might not just be about paying them more. We have some really interesting information. And uh, joining us is Dr. Dwayne Wood. Dr. Wood is a passionate educator and instructional designer with a rich background in military service and a profound commitment to empowering learners. Originally from the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, he's carved a path in the realms of education, leadership, and instructional design. Dr. Wood served in the Army at the age of 17 and undertook numerous international missions in South America, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. His roles included combat engineer, human resources expert, special operations support, senior enlisted advisor, and military science instructor. Following his military career, Dr. Wood worked as an instructor and instructional designer and obtained a master's degree and eventually a doctorate in education, specializing in leadership and management from Capella University. He's guided by a profound instructional philosophy, believing in the untapped potential within every learner, and he advocates for tailored approaches catering to the unique needs, interests, and abilities of each learner. And we welcome him to the podcast. Dr. Wood, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining us again. And and why don't you fill our audience a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Yeah, so uh, really, uh, currently right now, I'm doing a lot of instructional design, uh, working on some instructional design for the Department of Defense and uh, for National University. Uh, they've, they've reached out and I help with uh, the development of some instructional design programs. Uh, and um, I'm an adjunct for National and I teach uh, educational technology and leadership is a fantastic I, I love teaching that one it's always a small group i can tailor it to the individual and to their context uh, we always have a lot of learning in that that course uh, so that one's always a lot of fun to teach i, I say teach it's, it's more of a facilitation you know I like, I like to tell students think me think of me as like a peer mentor you know as we go through the oh. and go through that course and it uh, tends to work out really well Oh, that's great. Well, you seem like you're in the exactly where you need to be. And uh, today we are talking about how we can address the teacher shortage. So this is interesting. Um, Dr. Wood, what factors contribute to the current teacher shortage? Well, so um, I, recently, right, you see, you can almost pull up any news story, any news feed, and you see something, you know, about this teacher shortage. So as, as I've looked at the data and looked at everything, I think we've had a teacher shortage much longer, right? We, we've had it. It's, and it's not equally distributed across the nation. It's, you know, but I think now we're starting to see where there's some more, more districts maybe that are seeing this, um, that haven't seen it before. And now it's becoming more of national attention. And, um, there's a number that's given in a lot of these, uh, news articles. And it's, it's something like 3,600 or 36,000 vacancies across the nation, uh, you know, of, there are unfilled teachers, you know, and you can do some simple math, right? If, if one of those teachers uh, influences 50 students, you know, in, in a district, you know, that, that, you know, exponential impact right across the nation, uh, though it, 
if you look at the study where they're getting these numbers from, uh, the authors caution a little bit on this number because one of the things we're missing is data. You know, the, the authors in this study said, you know, some states didn't even report data that they had that they could get from. And then some states had some old data, you know, like 2014, 2015. Um, so this number is kind of, uh, you know, pulling this together and saying this is what it is. So one of the things I think, you know, when we talk about this is we really need data really to see what's happening here. You know, we go this, but, but I wish we could say, right, it seems like right off the bat, the easiest answer is, well, let's just pay our teachers more. I think yes, but that's only like, I think, a small factor in why we're maybe seeing this as we as we go. You know, it reminds me of the commercial. There was a commercial a while back. I think it was a cell phone carrier where it showed like a legislative body and it was all firemen. And, and they're like, everybody want clean water? Ah, yeah, mm-hmm. clean water, clean water. All right, bill passed, clean water. I wish it was that easy, right? Um, but this is a, such a complex issue. Right. As, you know, we could talk about, you know, low teacher salaries. I think there's some impact in there. But there are some states that pay teachers um, pretty well. I mean, I was on the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it showed an average salary for a four-year bachelor level teaching at 61000 a year, you know, uh, for coming right out of, mm-hmm. you know, school and now they're probably not going to start at that, right? But again, I look at that number. I think so. There are some there, um, you know, the, the challenging work conditions. And I was going to read this verbatim. I pulled this right off the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the Occupational Handbook. You know, it says teachers may find it rewarding to watch students develop new skills and gain an appreciation for knowledge. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I think people that go into the career of education, that's the reason. You know, that's what gets them uh, into the career of teaching. Uh, but the next line says, however, Uh, Teaching may be stressful. Some schools have large classes and lack important teaching tools, such as current technology and up-to-date textbooks. Occasionally, teachers must cope with unmotivated or disrespectful students. I I appreciate the Bureau of Labor Statistics being honest and open with that, because I think that adds to when we talk about these working conditions for teachers. Uh, It's changed. Uh, You know, our society's changed, and I think these conditions that teachers are encountering in the classroom is different and you know maybe we're not preparing them for that or maybe you know maybe there's some something more we need to look at right a little deeper uh about this problem and again data right and i and i feel like there's just a lack of data for us to make really good decisions uh, as we go through this you know um, we're trying to figure out what we need to do to fix this problem and you know uh, there's not going to be a single national solution Right. The federal government's not going to say this is how we're going to fix um, the teacher shortage. You know, it's a decentralized process. You know, local school districts have to look at what they can do. What what you know, again, look at their data. Why are why are we having a problem? And what then we can start looking at how we can solve that problem. Uh, so I, it's a very nuanced uh, problem, you know, and it's 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 one of these things that I hate to say the answer, but the answer is, well, it depends. Right. You know, we need to see the data. We need to see what the environmental context is of that school district that's having problems. And, you know, if you look at the distribution of this, it's kind of an unfair distribution where schools that are struggling, the schools that are struggling most likely in this, where teachers are the ones that don't have resources as much as mm-hmm. other schools. You know, and this may be contributing to our achievement gap. Right. So we got, you know, schools that are, that don't, you know, we, the, large classes, right? Well, if you have a really large class, sometimes it's hard to connect and make, and you know, that those rewarding things with students, to, you know, to see them advance, right? Because you got just a start, huge, large class that you have to, you know, get through and uh, get through the, 
what you need to do as a teacher and it can create burnout real fast. And, you know, certainly, and we, and I think and, that's what we're seeing. Well, and to your point too, I mean, it really the data, but so this also goes right to my next question about how does teacher demand vary by subject and by the region? That's just really kind of a regional issue too, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know what? Again, we're lacking real data. It, the Department of Education has a website and a database you can go to, and it shows all of the by state vacancies that they're seeing. But that's about it. That's all the data really gives, state and then subject. But one of the things, if you scroll through that, that you'll see that has a super high, that there's demand is it's STEM. So mathematics, you know, the sciences, there's a lot of vacancies there. And then you'll see also special education. And I guarantee if you go through every state, there's a bunch of special education vacancies. And, you know, be a, a parent of an autistic child, right, who's now an adult and, and you know, having grown through school, um, I can understand the challenges. Um, we've had both good and bad. And I can tell you a good special education teacher makes an enormous impact. Um, and that's just from personal experience. Uh, you know, with, with my child, uh, we seen, you know, we, we just got lucky with a really good school, with a really good teacher and uh, working with him uh, to get him where he's at. So uh, that's, to me, that that's a larger impact than say, you know, yeah. uh, an English teacher, uh, at least, at least my thing. And there's additional skills and training and um, personalities mm-hmm. and all that stuff that kind of go together to make a really good special education teacher. And, and, you know, so I think that's really important, but that's definitely, you see that there. And I think I make it, need to make a distinction here too, about, you know, we talk about STEM, right? when you're a teacher, you, you, you might be thinking like, you know, well, why don't we just get somebody that studies mathematics and put them in a classroom? Well, that doesn't work um, because a teacher has to have two sets of skills. They have to have the content skill and knowledge, but that's only half. They also need to understand how to relay that information to the audience that they have to, so that they can grasp the understanding. And some of that is like understanding where mistakes are made so that you can preempt that or how do you scaffold, right? What is this? I'm looking at a student. I can see what they're doing on the board mathematically. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I need them to work on X, Y, Z because that's where they're having the trouble. I can identify that. You have somebody that just studies mathematics. That's not intuitive to them, right? They have a process. I, I, you know, I like to call it, you know, they're, they're unconsciously competent. I mean, we've, we've met those people before, right? They do something so fantastic. And then you ask the question, Hey, can you show me how to do that? And they're lost right? That's that second set of skills that you have to have as a teacher. Uh, and it's, it, again, it's, it's those two sets that are needed to make that happen. So when we, when we kind of talk about this, this is the difference between quality versus quantity, right? That's yes, we, really have, we have, yeah, we have 36,000 vacancies, but do we just want to put anybody in them? Or do right. we want to make right. sure that we're putting a qualified individual and somebody that's ready, I think sometimes we lose that a little bit. Like, yes, they're, they're certified based upon all the paper checks, but are they emotionally and uh, mentally ready to be in the classroom with students? Especially um, you know, in today's environment, right? Yeah. Yes, right. absolutely. Let's just not throw them to the wolves, right? Let's make sure they're ready because if they're not ready and they go into the classroom, they're going to experience high levels of stress, quicker burnout, yeah. and they're going to leave the profession. 
Yeah, that is so true. I just, a girlfriend of mine is a, a teacher. She's been teaching for probably 30 years and she's teaching middle school in California. And she said, oh my gosh, just within the past five years, you know, um, it's amazing. But she's kind of an old school teacher. I mean, she, she started, you know, what, 30 years ago. And she said it's changed exponentially. So, uh, yep. you know, kudos to those. And I like what you say, quality versus quantity. I think that's a really key point. Why, um, why is teacher turnover a concern in addressing the supply and demand issues? Yeah, so teaching is kind of this unique profession in that it does take a long time to produce an effective teacher. You know, even if we stay, say, we're going to a bachelor level certification, well, there's three to four years, right? But then there's time after that that they, you know, in the classroom where they have some support, you know, and learning as they go. So I, I would say we have a three to five year training pipeline to produce an effective teacher. Well, let's say we have a teacher that joins the profession, goes through that pipeline, and then spends 18 months, is burnt out and leaves the profession. We, we have a net loss because we have, we have, we've having that losses. So, you know, that quick turnover is, is not good for the district. It's not good for the profession and it, and it ultimately hurts the students. Uh, you know, so it's, it, you know, when we, that's, it's, it's going to create, you know, it's going to it just increase the demand. And I think that's why when they, you know, when you talk about the study with the numbers, you know, does that 36,000 turn into 50,000 next year? And then the following year it's 70,000. Right. And it just continues to get larger and larger because we're having a, such a, a, a short turnover time. Uh, you know, and just think about the cost so, that's involved there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the cost. That's a whole other conversation. But I have a question for you about that age distrib distribution of the teaching workforce and the impact. How does that impact supply and demand? Are people getting aged out or what? What's yeah, exactly. There? So if you have a lot of it, well, I look at it also as a supply and demand side, but also on like an institutional knowledge expert type um, perspective in that if we have a lot of, uh, of our experienced teachers retiring, yes, it's going to create greater demand, right? We got to backfill all of those positions. But one of the things we're losing is now we're, we're swapping very experienced teachers for new teachers. And if we have, and if that's concentrated within regions or within districts or within schools, that creates a learning curve for for the district, right? We've just lost an immense amount of in institutional knowledge that is really needed. Uh, you know, uh, teaching is, it's all based on science, but it's really an art and how it's applied. That's a, a really good point too. Um, how does the perception of the teaching profession affect supply and demand? And I think this is one of the aspects that I think we, we really need to look at when we're recruiting teachers. And just think about the last couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and all the school shootings that are on the uh, news, right? Uh, yeah. How, how does that High school student that's maybe thinking about becoming a teacher or the college student that's going through a teacher preparation starting to think about their career now. School safety, right? Am I going to, that, that's become, I would never th have thought, you know, in the United States that we would be worried about in a school, I'm worried about safety. You know, do I need, you know, coming from an army background, do I need to teach my kids combat skills now so that they can be safe in, in just the day, their daily skill or in school? Um, 
you know, that's, uh, I remember, I forget what, how long ago. So I remember they were selling backpacks with bulletproof, uh, ceramic plates in them. And I'm like, so, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that that's a negative profession, uh, uh, aspect on people trying to become teachers. They starting to second guess that. Yeah. And then just like the statement I read that came right off the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think that's a problem. Right. How are do, do I think that it's it's less of do I have the capability to understand all the content and teach it? I think I can do that fine. But maybe classroom management is more of a concern. Am I able to work with students of such, whatever age group that I'm looking at? And I can tell you, I went through this myself when I was pursuing education. I started out um uh, pursuing K through 12. Um, I did a lot of volunteer work at all the, in substitute teaching so I could get a feel for it from grades three all the way up through high school. And I can tell you, I could not be an elementary school teacher just based upon going through that experience. Um, it, it takes a special person. Yes. Um, to do that. And even middle school was a challenge for me. Um, and then I found my niche in high school. Um, you know, but uh, again, okay. I think that's, that's, um, that's part of this, right? How are we viewing this uh, as a society? And if we think about this, um, how what what social standing does a teacher have in the community? You know, it, imagine mm -hmm. what the difference would be if we viewed a teacher at the same social standing or community standing as the MD. Mm -hmm. you, know? you know, in fact, it's funny that you said that just now, because I was going to say when you go through medical school and then you spend some time, you know, as on your rotations and, and whatnot, but you don't really specify exactly what direction you're going in until you've been in it. So I think almost in the same way, as you talk about the medical profession, teachers, you know, just like you said, maybe you're better with elementary school, maybe you're better with middle or, or high school. Um, and you won't know it necessarily until you've spent time in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So, uh, yeah, that's all. This is great information. Uh, what strategies can be employed to attract more individuals to the teaching profession? Yeah, and I think this is we tied right. We're t we kind of talked about in the beginning. Uh, you know, what's causing the shortage, right? Well, then how do we attract them? Well, it's it's, yeah. it's those things, right? We, again, we like to think, well, let's just pay them more. Well, you know, that, that again, that's a very mm -hmm. complicated issue because a lot of these school districts are public, right? Are, you know, so their their funding's not, you know, a lot there. So they, they got to work with what they got. Yeah. Um, you know, so there are some things I've seen out there um, that uh, actually in my local area, there's a couple school districts that are going to a four day work week. So um, hmm. every weekend's a long weekend. I'm, I'm not, again, I, I, I want to see the data and I'm not so sure yeah. that that's going to be uh, an end all be all solution. I, I, it might even have some negative impact. I, I hope they're looking at not only teacher perception on this, but how is it impacting learning? Right. Um, you know, again, that's, a, that's the goal, right? We always got to keep that in mind is learn learning is what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve those objectives we've been given, um, you know, with our students. So we got to be careful that we balance in policy there um, to actually meet those those objectives. Um, you know, the the, the um, wow. yeah. So I, the other thing, and we kind of hit on a little bit, is I, I would like to see you know much more robust mentorship programs. 
you know, maybe we can keep yeah. some of those uh, teacher retirees, not in a teaching capacity, mm-hmm. but in a mentorship capacity for our new teachers. It, you know, it's somebody outside of the, the school leadership that a teacher can go to and say, mm-hmm. I'm ex- this is what I'm experiencing. Maybe you got some things to help me there. And then we kind of retain that institu- institutional knowledge, right? But we also protect that individual, right? They're gonna, right. They're not in a teaching capacity, right? But they're there as a mentor and support, an ongoing support, right? We're not we're not bringing the student or the teacher in and going, here you go, right? We're giving, hey, here's yeah. the person you can talk to, you can talk to, right? And they got continuous support uh, for long-term and maybe we can keep them in the profession longer. I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. Um, we have to take a quick break. This, this is awesome information, by the way. Stay with us. We will be right back more in just a moment. And now back to our interview with Dr. Dwayne Wood. And we're discussing how to fix this teacher shortage that's happening all across the nation. And Dr. Wood, how can teacher preparation programs adapt to address this shortage? Uh, well, you know, one is there's got to be decent recruiting Right. You know, and, and we talked about like the how the profession's viewed. Right. I, this is kind of like a cultural shift. I think, you know, it's a little bit larger. That's that's hard to do. Right. And and I, but one of the things in the preparation and this is maybe a concern for me is that uh, some states are turning to third party instructor certification or not instructor uh, teacher certification programs that kind of say, look, hey, we can give you a certified teacher in 12 to 18 months. And I'm. Again, I, I want to see. I'd like to see data on this. Um, the state of Texas actually banned one of these uh, because of complaints. Uh, you know, so um, this is that same argument we have: quality versus quantity, right? That twelve to month, twelve to eighteen month preparation uh, is probably you know we can get the quantity in there, but are we really producing quality? And you know, what are we doing, right? You know, and is is that better than not having somebody in there? You know, so there's a lot of things in there. Again data and it depends, depends on the, the circumstance. Because if you have maybe somebody that's, um, you know, an individual that's had some experience with teaching stuff, they just don't have their certification and they go through a 12 to 18 month advanced kind of, they may be fine, right? Especially if you have supports for them afterwards, you know, mentorship and stuff, they may be fine. That may work. Um, but I'm a, I'm a little skeptical on those short, fast to try to put somebody in there uh, as we go through, as we process this. Um, another option that I, I I've seen and I'm, I'm looking at it. I was looking at it more and more and I think has some, has some potential is, is they call it grow your own. And the idea here is that if you have a community that maybe is having a problem getting teachers in there, well, is there supports that we could get to get local community members through a normal teaching certification to become a teacher in that district. I think there's a lot of uh, pros there, you know, uh, but again, we're still looking at a longer training pipeline, right? And and we're going to have to have supports and there's a whole bunch of other stuff there, but I think there's some potential there uh, to help with that because a lot, again, we told us this is a very uneven distribution of the shortages across districts and states and stuff. So if we could target those communities uh, and, uh, actually, and there's a couple pilots that I've seen that have done this, right? They've and they've been fully funded, where they fully fund a community member to go through a teacher preparation training, and then they teach in the in that district. Um, so I, I think there's a potential there. We, again, we got to follow the data and see, you know, um, see what it shows us. 
Right. And it's true. I think follow the data should be the headline here. <laughs> I like it. Um, what role can financial incentives play? And I know you talked a little bit about that too, in alleviating this teacher shortage, pay them more, but what, what else? Yeah. Again, I, I think, uh, again, I'm, I'm not so on board with financial being the full on solution. Yes. I think there needs to be some, mm-hmm. uh, some, especially across some of the, the districts, there needs to be some greater financial uh, compensation there for the work that these teachers are doing, right? Because a lot of them are going well above and beyond, uh, the, you know, so there needs to be there. But, you know, we talked about those other areas, right? STEM and the um, special education. So, I, you know, maybe those are some some bonuses there, right? Maybe there's some financial incentives we can put in there. Again, I'd like to tie those to like some metrics, some data, right? You know, but um, when we're looking at that, I think there's some some data that uh, aspects there, but I think there's also some like non-financial incentives. You know, uh, we can talk about like professional development opportunities. You kind of talked about it, right? You know, maybe we can mm-hmm. uh, make somebody uh, much more knowledgeable and much more uh, they can do much more things within the school. It would be fantastic, right? If you could take like the math teacher and get them trained in special education. Right. Uh, you know, so I, I right. I, again, I think there's some things in there. And again, this would be, I think, voluntary. Right? You can't you don't want to force somebody if they don't want to do that. Uh, but there may be some 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 cross training and some opportunities. There are some non uh, again, non-financial incentives. I think there's uh, some opportunity there. Yeah, I like I like your where your ideas are, are leading. How can schools retain teachers once they're in this profession? And, and I, I think, you know, easy answer on this one for me, and we kind of already talked about it, is provide the supports for mm-hmm. the teacher to be successful over a longer period, right? Not just that first year, not just that second year, but continual supports for this for this teacher as they gain the, the confidence, self-efficacy, right, in their ability to teach in that context, whatever context they're in. Uh, I think that's that's really important in retaining um, our, our teachers and, you know, developing the next uh, group of teachers that are going to teach, you know, you know, again, we're going to, we're going to replace our, ourselves, right, all the time. So um, I think that's, right, that's, right. that's the way to go there. And you know what, and we also kind of talked a little bit about this too, that impact that technology can have on addressing <laughs> the teacher shortage, mainly maybe yeah. AI or what, you know. Yeah, well, you know, when we, when we talk a little bit, you know, we tended to think about, well, how does that impact learning and that stuff? But I think there's um, a lot of opportunity for technology to assist the teacher with the administrative burden that comes along with just being mm-hmm. a teacher, right? There's a lot of things that the district yeah. requires or school requires. And if you can remove some of that or alleviate some of that, that's going to reduce some of the stress. That's going to reduce some of the, the hours that are needed to accomplish that. It, yes, it's not directly related to teaching, but it's still tasks that a teacher has to accomplish. So if we can use technology to reduce that, I think we can help with the uh, quality of life uh, of a teacher. They can focus more on the actual teaching versus the um, administrative burden that comes along with being a teacher. That's a good point. Uh, What about how can partnerships between schools and universities help with the teacher shortage? So I think in a couple of ways here, one, we, we, we kind of talked a little bit, so we can be, uh, be a little bit quicker on this, but, you know, that grow your own program, you know, mm-hmm. have a university that's in the local area, that that's theirs, mm-hmm. right? To help that community develop the teachers they need for that community. I, I Again, I, yeah. I really like that idea. And I, I know there's some funding sources that could be used, you know, uh, that both that 
that district and the university could leverage to produce these teachers. <laughs> you know, uh, and then the you know the other one is we have a lot of expertise within universities. What if they could help support those teachers? Yeah, right. That would be you know, idea. Uh, maybe in that mentorship role, or uh, maybe in that professional development role. Right. You, mm-hmm. So that they could come in and do. So, again, I think there's a, a lot of opportunity there. And I think there's a lot of like almost I hate to say no cost or low cost, but I think there's some opportunity there without expending a whole bunch of money and getting, you know, uh, a, a pretty good result there. I think it's just getting the right people in the room. Right. And talking yeah. it through and, and seeing what's, you know, the art of the possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's true. It's just having these conversations and it's, that's, that's really key. What about uh, policy play? How, what role does policy play have in addressing teacher demand and, and supply? I like, I like this question because um, a lot of times we put in, we put policy in place based upon an incident or based upon uh, just normals. And we don't really collect a lot of data on what's the second and third order effects of these policies on learning on teacher quality of life, right? All these things, what, what impact is this policy actually having? Is it, is it accomplishing what we wanted it to, right? But what else is it impacting? Uh, you know, we could think about, you know, policies on metrics. Are we measuring the right thing? And what behavior mm-hmm. is measuring those things producing? And is that the behavior we want? Or is it something we don't want, right? So we, we, we need to take, do these things and look at them in a very iterative way, right? We're gonna put these in place, what data are we collecting? What's that data telling us? What changes do we need to make? Right. And just do these, these cycles um, so that we can get. And again, that's another way to keep up with change because we'll mm-hmm. reevaluate the environmental context. We can make the change and we can adapt it. It is a little more work, right? It takes an administrator time to make these things happen. But it, you have if you plan it out ahead of time, what data am I collecting? What's the data going to tell me? Uh, you can you can put this in place and it, it becomes more, I hate to say routine, but, you know, as you go through, you, you know what data you're looking at. Uh, you know, uh, again, I hate to hate, keep saying this, but data, data-driven decision-making, right, is, is what yeah. we got to get to. Yeah. You know, what's the data telling us? And do we know that the policy is effective? I, I like to ask that question all the time when I see policies. How do you know this policy is effective? And you mm-hmm. get blank stares because they don't know. <laughs> Not, they're not measuring it. Yeah. Yep. Wow. We talked a little bit about um, those retired educators and how they yep. can be leveraged to address the shortage. So yeah, maybe we can just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Again, I think the mentorship role is fantastic, right? Uh, yeah. And I know the, again, just knowing you become a teacher because you want to make an impact. I mean, really, I mean, you can mm-hmm. almost ask anybody that's in the teaching field and that's what they're going to tell you, right? It's not because of the mm-hmm. money, you know, it's not because yeah. of the work hours. Um, it's because they want to make an impact. They want to make an impact even after they retire. I, I mm. guarantee there's a whole bunch of teachers out there that would volunteer, right? You know, yeah. so when we yeah. start thinking about this, right, and, and the financial and the costs involved here, this could probably be done. Now, volunteers, sometimes we'd have to have, it's not sustainable, right? Sometimes, right, that you need. So, you know, you may need a, a volunteer coordinator, right, that's maybe a retired teacher that could pick out. I mean, so there's just some things that have to be worked through there. But I think it still could be accomplished with a fairly low budget, you know, as, mm-hmm. as we when, you, when we look at how we could do that. The, the other way I would say is, you know, these retired teachers, universities in those areas could pick those teachers up, right, and maybe in adjunct roles and use them in those partnerships, 
because you have this, again, you have this uh, individual that's got decades of experience, um, you know, and is just a a vital resource that we just don't want to let go if if we don't, if we can, if we can use them in another capacity. And that is true. It is a vital resource. We were talking about that being used in law enforcement and military as well. So yeah, I think the teaching mode can, can really take that on. Uh, what innovative teaching models can help cope with this teacher shortage? Well, you know, um, we've seen, right, um, like I think all, all other professions and stuff, you know, COVID had an impact, right? The pandemic mm-hmm. had an impact. But I think we learned that maybe there's room for some virtual asynchronous aspects of learning in a traditional K through 12 environment. Now I'm a little skeptical in the lower grades uh, because, you know, when we talk about asynchronous learning and stuff, it takes a little bit of self-direction. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some um, other skills that are needed there that that's what you're developing in the elementary school kids. Is it? But in high school, I think, you know, in the middle school and high school, I think there's some, some work there where that could be used one to help improve teacher quality of life, but also maybe to leverage some technology to improve student learning. So I think that's, you know, we talk about blended there and then we, kind of hit on the idea and you actually brought it up uh, and I I wrote it down in the note um, is to take on almost like a medical residency. I called it a teacher residency. You know, uh, a lot of teacher preparation programs do this, right? You have to have so many hours of teaching under observation Mm -hmm. from a qualified certified individual, right? That you get evaluated on. And that's, and that's all great and good, but maybe there needs to be some, a more robust um, aspect of that. And again, that this takes a lot of resources, so it might not be feasible, but I think there's, there's some, I, some thoughts in there. Um, you know, when I think in my, my military career as a, as a military instructor, we used to do this all the time, you know, uh, one, uh, I would have to prepare and actually teach my peers and get evaluated by them. Then I got to teach in the classroom with my, uh, the expert, teacher in the back, got evaluated by them, right? And we did this all the time, right? And, and so I think that's that's important. That's a, uh, something that needs to happen. Again, one- You know what? And the, I, I love that idea. I didn't mean to jump in there, but it no. really does. It kind of leads me to my last question. And that is how that community involvement can help support and mitigate this teacher shortage. But be, community outside, but also inside within your peer group. I think that's so yeah. important. Yeah, you know, there's the idea of what they call um, communities in practice, and it, you know, it's it's something internal that you could put together. Well, I hate to say no cost again, but there's a cost of time, where mm-hmm. you know you you bring you bring your all the your teachers together and you have those conversations. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we're not siloed, and I've been in organizations and teaching organizations where it tends to be pretty siloed. Right. Um, nothing mm-hmm. goes outside the math department, you know, and nothing goes out. And there's a lot of opportunity lost there because, um, you know, uh, I, I like to tell this, you know, when I was in, when I was in the army and you got your yearly training plan. If you tried to accomplish everything that you had to within a year, there wasn't enough time in the you know, in a year to do it. Um, so you had to do two for ones. So if you think about in a K through 12 environment, how could we achieve that? Well, what if we could practice English skills in a science class. You know, and some schools are doing this really well. Uh, I've seen seen some stuff. They've kind of bridged these ideas. And I like this because it's a very multidisciplinary approach to things uh, because, you know, we're not just going to use our world's getting so complex. You know, mm-hmm. we really we really need to focus on uh, critical thinking skills. Uh, and if you just think about yes. our political system of today, every citizen needs to be a critical thinker. Right. Uh, it, yes. You know, 
you know, we don't, we're on information overload all the time. How do we know that we're right. looking at information and how do we evaluate that information and ensure that, you know, that there's, that it, there's some legitimacy to it or not. Right. I, I, I do this every right. day. I look at, I got this one news feed and I look at through and I look at the articles and I'm like, okay, here's the questions I have for this article because, <laughs> right. Um, you know, because right. it, it doesn't, something doesn't look right or feel right about it, right, as you look through it. And if you did a little bit of right. research, you can poke all kinds of holes in it, right? You know, so that's that's well, the skills we right. need. That is critical thinking. That, yeah. That's exactly Asking it. those questions, poking those holes, yeah. And knowing yeah, both you know, sides, and, too. And I think I maybe, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly, right. Um, being able to, uh, I, I, you know, we used to say this, I used to say this all the time. I used to run, uh, I liked using debate a lot as a, as a teaching methodology. Yes. Because mm -hmm. you really, truly never understand a subject unless you can argue the other side. Um, so, right. you know, and that allows you to get, you know, a little bit deeper in there. So that, that, that's, you know, those type of things, those are the skills we need to uh, really focus on. Get, you know, we start making the shift from knowledge base to uh, information literacy, you know, evaluating and asking questions. And it's critical to a lot of, you know, I, um, I was asked one time about leadership and they're like, you know, what's, if you had, if you had to put, you know, what you learned about, you know, 20 plus years in leadership, um, what would you say? And I was like, you know what? The number one thing about leadership is asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. Good, I love if that. you ask the right yeah. questions, your people will take care of it. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, and if, if you've, you, and you've trained them and, and got them where they need to be at, um, they really don't need you except for some, some <laughs> guidance and intent. Right. Yeah. And it's asking right. the right questions. Um, so right. yeah, that's, and, and that's a skill, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're very used to, uh, answering questions. We're not so good sometimes in asking questions. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then yep. there's more to that, right? Well, if I ask the question, where do I need to go to find information? What data do I need to look for? What is that data going right. to tell me? How am I going to evaluate that data? Right. There's all these other questions or all these other skill sets that follow that, you know, when we get mm -hmm. into the, you know, and again, I just think just our political process, let's not even talk about, you know, our work skills, you know, uh, problem solving. Our um, system of government requires the population uh, to be critical thinkers. Uh, and even so much more so if we see this all the time come up, you know, the elimination of electoral college, right? If that goes away, that, that even makes, I mean, that's why the framers put that in place, right? Um, it's, it was because they didn't believe that all, all the citizens had all the information they needed to make a, a, a decision. Um, now we're overloaded with information, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and we have to sift through what's what we think is true or true or not. So um, that skill is, is absolutely critical just to, uh, you know, so much more now uh, than than before, um, and, and just one more little quick. I had a when I was going through my my dissertation, my mentor was telling me he said, you know, when I did my dissertation, I had to go to a library with a card catalog. You know, uh, you know, me, I'm doing internet searches, database searches, right? I'm doing it all from you know from home. You know, I'm not going anywhere. But there's so much more. Yeah. I have to, um, I have to develop ways and skills to get through a lot of information, uh, and evaluate that information, you know, more so right. than in the past. 
I, you know, and I say this to my kids who are in their early twenties and I'm, I just say, I've grown up in both of your worlds, but you know, your world with all the cell phone where you have instant information or, you know, back, like you said, then the library and the card catalogs, when I was in debate, I didn't have Google to go check when they flipped, you know, arguing on either side. So, you know, it's like we had to walk and crawl and, you know, go through the snow to get to school and all that back in the day. But uh, it is it's a different it is a different world. But I love what your ideas are. And um, I hope that you can implement them because this has been a great conversation and and it all makes sense. So uh, thank you for your time and sharing your knowledge. And if you want more information, you can visit uh, National University's website at nu.edu. And again, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.